Justin just made this awesome set list on this awesome set list on Spotify. It's called it's called 88 miles per hour in a DeLorean in the DeLorean. It's got awesome music on it. I could do without Billy Joel. <laughs> Honestly, wow. okay. I could. He was I mean, great live. No, it's not Billy Joel. It's um Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Like. <laughs> yeah. Can't stand him. Okay. Well, I can't agree to that being from New Jersey. <sighs> yeah, but you guys treat him like he's a god. Like he is your number. New Jersey is your. He's your number one celebrity. Mm. That's not true at all. Yeah. No, Name you another just one. have to, such disdain for him Name, that you think that. No, you got uh, Bon Jovi. You got nothing. Springsteen's Bon Jovi's from Philadelphia, I think. No, he's from South Jersey. Okay, fine. Name another one. You got no more after that. And Bruce Springsteen is bigger than Bon Jovi. Do you know who's Connecticut is? Oh, a minor. Michael Bolton. <laughs> serious. <laughs> I'm serious. A friend sent it to me. The is other it what's day. his name from here? Um, isn't um John Mayer from Connecticut? John Mayer is also from Connecticut, but they say, here it is right here. Best-selling music artists are banned from each state. Whitney Houston is from New Jersey. Oh, well, then that takes the title easily. Michael Bolton, Connecticut. I mean, Whitney takes the cake then. Yeah. Yeah. Found the biggest one right there. Whitney's the winner. Dave Matthews, Virginia. The Fray in Colorado. That makes sense. I mean, but they need to come out with a new record. It's been it's been too long. And I love their music. They make more saddams than <laughs> you just love a good saddam. Sometimes on the playlist that you that uh that I listen to when I'm in the gym. Yeah. All of the a one sudden that I made? like a sad song comes on and I'm like, this just killed every vibe I was having in this workout. Cranberry Zombie is a it's a saddam, but it's also a deep workout song. Like deep mentally or <laughs> anyway. You're listening to Get Found Recovery, the podcast. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay and Adam. We are here to talk about all things feelings today, which is just so exciting for me. I love talking about all the feels. Adam hates every minute of it, and I love all of it. So today we're here with Mary Ellen Dance, who's a licensed mental health therapist and is also the host of her own podcast, OK-ish. We thought this was really appropriate with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, and we wanted to talk all things therapy. Okay, or I wanted to talk all (laughs) things therapy, and I just kind of drag Adam along with me. So Mary Ellen, welcome. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I like Adam's reaction when you said the word feelings. <laughs> We're going to have fun with that. <laughs> oh, it's going to be, it's going to be great. I mean, and that's how we are in this family. Everything is feelings. Everything is like, talk about our feelings. And I come from a family, I'm 95% Irish, right? So I come from a family where it was, don't talk about your feelings. Let's just get through it. And through the years, through therapy. Uh, Lindsay's not only been able to crack me, but even my mom has come out of her shell and talk about her feelings a lot. And there's sometimes where you're like, wow, Nana. Yeah. I mean, good job. You're doing great. So therapy has definitely helped us all. And, you know, listen, this is, this is about recovery too. And you and we're taking a step back kind of from drugs and alcohol today to talk about our mental health, but like a huge part of my recovery is therapy right? It's not only my, my personal therapy, but we go to couples therapy as well. We'll, we'll get into that. 
Um, I'm not a big AA guy. So when I found therapy, that's what I kind of use as recovery. So as much as I roll my eyes and hate talking about feelings, I know that it's a huge part of what I have to do to keep myself kind of balanced. So thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for recognizing the, the importance of feelings. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So how did you get started with all this therapy? I know, I know you started as a drug and alcohol counselor, right? I did. That was my first job. I was really, really lucky. And it was kind of, um, wild too. I got a job at a hospital as a drug and alcohol counselor when I was 21 years old, fresh out of my bachelor's. For those of you who are listening and can't see me, I'm white and blonde and look pretty innocent. And I'm 10 years older than I was then. And then I looked like I was 15. So it was like wild. Like, I don't know how I was trusted to do that. Um, like it was an amazing learning experience for me, but I really am like, how, how, how did that happen? (laughs) I don't know how I did that, but I was lucky because I was able to work that job while I was in grad school for my master's in mental health counseling. So I was lucky with that. And in terms of getting into counseling, honestly, it's because I'm really nosy. Like my clients will tell you, they'll be like, oh yeah, she's super nosy. A lot of therapists have like a big sob story. A lot of therapists go into therapy because, you know, they had a therapist who changed their life or different things like that. Mm. I honestly didn't, which for a while was really interesting because for a while it made me feel like a huge imposter. I was like, well, you know, like I, my parents are still married. Like I can't be a counselor. (laughs) Like I didn't have any, you know, no family's perfect, but I didn't have any like huge traumas as a child. You know, sometimes that can be a good reason to become a therapist. And sometimes it can be, you know, not the best reason to become a therapist. So yeah, it's funny. I don't have like a sob story. I just kind of fell into it after taking psychology courses and really enjoying them in college. So now doing the mental health therapy, I have to imagine, right? So let's, let's dive into, I'm so excited. I just want to like dive into it all. Right. (laughs) She's a diver. So when When you talk about therapy, right? So I've been in therapy for over a decade, right? So I've got some things under my belt, but I want to talk about a bit of hesitation on people's parts, right? So usually, correct me if I'm wrong, when people come to you for the first time, they are usually in some sort of crisis, right? Yes. Right. Nobody walks into therapy being like, my life is so good. Let's just talk, right? (laughs) It just like doesn't work like that. Great day. So once in a while... If there's someone who has been in therapy before, they can come to me for the first time and be like, hey, I just need to get reengaged with the therapist I moved or my therapist retired. Or, you know, if somebody kind of knows the lingo and has been in it before, they'll come to me not in crisis. But you're correct. So many people call me in crisis and they're like, I got to meet with a therapist tomorrow, like get me in. And then if I'm not able to get them in tomorrow, maybe in a week, I schedule them for their appointment. And so often they won't show up. Mm, Right. Because the crisis is over, right? right? Or or they did the reach out or they did the reach out. They didn't get what they wanted. And they're like, okay, no, I'm over it. Like, I don't want to talk about it anymore because that moment passed. Right. And, And that's a lot of the piece people have these moments, right? Where they're like, you're right. I do need to talk to someone. And then all of a sudden they didn't, they can't get in for a week or they can't get in for a month. And they're, that's it. We move on. We're going to just bury our problems again. Me. I remember going into therapy. I was in crisis, right? Like it was about my mom. I remember going into therapy and being like, 
this is about my mom, right? It's all her fault. And I remember my mom used to say to me for years, like, oh, you could tell your therapist about it one day, like joking when we were younger. And so then here I was walking into therapy being like, oh my God, my mom, it's all her fault. And then you start to unpeel back the layers and then you uncover and like, oh wait, it's not all her fault. (laughs) You know, you know, know what's interesting about that is, you know, who hates therapists is moms. So I, and I've had this in my experience. I first started the first time I saw a therapist, I was in grad school. And so I started seeing a therapist. I've been seeing a therapist ever since. I don't understand why people don't like it. You get to talk about yourself for an hour. Like, no, so good. Amazing. It's amazing. But anyways, I remember when I first went, my mom was, my mom said to me, she was like, don't let her blame everything on me, which, you know, you can imagine there's some anxiety issues there, but, um, (laughs) but I see that with, I see that with clients a lot. Like I, I work primarily with adults right now, but I have worked with children and teenagers and it is very common for a child or a teenager to come in and be like, oh yeah, my mom said that like, that wasn't a really big deal to talk about. Yeah. You should probably, but maybe we should. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about it anyway. (laughs) So one of the things, and I'm sure Adam will you know, say the same is a lot of times when we're talking to people, usually my first question to people is, do you talk to anyone? And majority of the responses are no. And so then, you know, we try to give them some resources and people to talk to. And then a a lot of the other excuses, and I call them excuses, are, oh, I went and I didn't like them, or, oh, I couldn't get an appointment, or I just don't have anything to talk about. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay. So do you see a lot of, you know, one timers that come in and just do the initial and then bounce out? So that that's hard to say because I own a private practice and I've been established for quite a while. So I don't really so much anymore, but it's very common. It's common for Again, people to, like you were saying earlier, for people to come in crisis and them to come talk about the crisis, feel better, and then be like, okay, I don't need to see you anymore. I actually just had a client who she wanted to see me for two hours a week. And I was like, I I can't fit that into my schedule right now. I mean, COVID's been kind of good for business. Um, it's It's been really busy. I was like, I can, but I can see you an hour weekly. Like we can still keep our hour weekly appointment. And so, but she was so, her anxiety was so high that she wanted two hours a week. And we saw each other for, I don't know, maybe two months. And every time she would say, when another slot opens up, when you can see, when you have the bandwidth to see me two hours a week, like I want to be seen then. And then she got put on a new medication. Mm-hmm. And was like, oh my gosh, this medication is working. It's helping me feel better. And I was like, that's awesome. She's like, I don't need to come see you anymore. And I was like, (laughs) so it's wild. Like thinking about that, right? In her mind, it's completely logical. And I'm glad that she feels better right now. But there's such a difference between like a crisis intervention and like what therapy actually is. And people often think that those are the same things. Can you explain what therapy actually is? I'm glad you asked. The actual definition of therapy is a conversation between, I literally just read this definition the other day, a conversation between a healer and a person in pain, something, I forget exactly what the definition was, but it was like a helping conversation between a healer and some type of person in pain. 
therapy, that's hard to answer because therapy looks different for Mm -hmm. everyone. Mm -hmm. So I am the type of therapist that's very like in your face, like let's do this work. Like you go home and do this and you come back. Okay. I'm going to call you out on your excuses on why you didn't do this. Like, that's just my style. Some people don't like that and that's okay. Some other therapists have a much more like backseat. Let me just validate and listen. So it can look really, really different. And so I think that in a way that scares people that it can look really different yeah, because exactly. they don't necessarily know what to expect. And you know, it's so funny, all these therapists, right? There's psychology today as a website. That's like a directory of therapists and all these therapists put like the theories that they're trained in. And it's like, unless it's something super specified, like nobody knows what that means. Right. <laughs> like, you don't need to put that. Nobody gets it. Right. I love like your style, right? My therapist is, we have conversations, good conversations. Granted, we've been together a very long time. So she knows me and she knows all my shit. So she calls me out on stuff, right? And so I very much appreciate that. For me personally, I don't think I could do a, mm-hmm, okay, mm, kind of therapist. That doesn't work for me. I need someone to be like, you're acting like an asshole, So now what are we going to do about that? Yeah, I especially love the sessions because we do couples therapy. I especially love the sessions when the therapist tells her she's an asshole in front of me. Because then (laughs) I'm like, yes, that's a win. I was right. Yeah, that's a good thing to teach about in therapy. Yeah, that being right in a marriage is really healthy. <laughs> it, it really helps him. But, but I think, but I think too. Look, I went to a rehab where we were taught MRT, which is moral recognition therapy. I'm sure you're aware of it. A lot of bad people in society has have taken this. It was it was worked in the prison systems for rapists and murderers. And for some reason they gave it to me and it stuck with me and I am sober because of it. And I live MRT, I breathe MRT, and we talk a lot about the the inner self and the ego. And I think a lot of times the ego wins nine times out of 10, right? So that's a lot of the reason why people will make that initial phone call, that inner self reaches out, but then the ego can talk you out of it in a week to say, you don't really need this, you know? So it's, it's an internal struggle that people are having. I completely agree because I have a therapist that I collaborate a lot with on and I were just having a conversation about the clients she has that come in are high functioning, right? Don't have any like blatant in your face. This is what's going on, right? Like they're not, they're not doing cocaine. They like have a job, you know, things like that. They come in because they know that something's wrong, but then they'll just be like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, like, let me vent about my significant other or, you know, this annoying thing happened at work or very surface level Mm. stuff. And a lot of the time, depending on where that person is at in their in their self-awareness, in their ego, all of that, sometimes they just won't go further. And, you know, that's where my style comes in. And I'm like, look, we can talk all day about like annoying Susan at work that you have to like manage conversations with. But like, at some point, we're going to have to get to the deeper stuff. And some people don't want to go there. Right. Or they think, let me rephrase that. Actually, some people don't want to go there, but there's a lot of people who don't think there actually is anything there. Right. 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 And we all have stuff like we all have lived these lives with so many like social messages and psychological messages and family messages that you could be the healthiest person in the world and still benefit from therapy because life happens and it's just the 
way to manage it. People who are really, really strong still go to the gym and lift weights because that's how to like maintain it. And so, so it's just really interesting because I think a lot of the time the ego gets in the way. And I think a lot of the time they don't understand all the stuff that's there. They don't, they, maybe they've never been in therapy or they've never thought of it. So they don't understand the connections that are there. They, their ego is preventing them from looking at things differently than they've ever looked at them. Yeah. And I think too, I think back to that people not allowing themselves to get there. Right. When Adam and I, I, I slightly, I think I forced Adam into therapy when he was in active addiction. Yes. Pretty much. So he had like his own therapist. And then we were doing couples counseling as well when he was in active addiction. I lied through the entire thing. Like the whole thing. And then I remember when he was in the hospital and I was in a therapy session and and his therapist ended up like coming into my session. And to see I, how was, I was, doing. yeah, just to check on him and see how he was doing. And I just went like bananas, like, what was he just lying to you? And you could like, I was blaming this, his poor therapist over the decisions he was making. So I get that, right. He didn't want to admit there was a problem. He didn't want to deal with it. He just wanted us, like he was going to therapy to check the box, like sealands did it, like, leave me alone kind of thing. Well, and like, sometimes as therapists, we have training, right. And sometimes we're able to like pull that out. Like I have a fairly good bullshit meter from being a drug and alcohol counselor, but it's not perfect. And so, you know, there are times that are huge wins where it's like, Ooh, I got this person to go a little bit deeper. I, you know, I got this person to break down. I joke with my clients all the time that I get bonuses every time they cry. (laughs) like, (laughs) And so, um, at the end of the day, like I'm not in, I'm not a mind reader. I'm not in anybody else's head. And it makes me sad. Like it honestly makes me really sad because, you know, for whatever reason, the ego getting in the way at the end of the day, the ego is there to protect us, but it makes me sad when people aren't able to get past that, aren't able to step outside their comfort zone because they don't realize how, how much better they could feel. Right. And to be fair, my therapist did say I was the only person that has, and he was 65, 66, great guy. And I was the only person to ever dupe him. Um, so yeah, so I, I had that special manipulation skill that was top notch to a point where, and I'll, I don't mind talking about it to a point where when I got back and I got sober, he was still my therapist and he no longer trusted me. So yeah. he would call me out. If like I looked tired, he would think that I was using. And for me, it just, I couldn't take it anymore. I just was like, this isn't going to work. You know, I'm sorry that I did this to you. And I broke, I I broke him or, you know, I duped him, but for him to think that I wasn't sober or he was trying to make sure that he wouldn't slip up again and miss the signs. And for that reason, we couldn't get a lot accomplished. So I had to break up with my therapist. Mm, That's a real thing, right? Oh, it's a real thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough, but I mean, you have a new one and she's great. She's great. Yeah. I'm never breaking up with mine. Like clearly ever. So I'm never breaking up with my therapist. I love my therapist. I ask her all the time if she would be friends with me if I wasn't her client. <laughs> like, Marilyn, you're a therapist. You know better than to ask that question. And I'm like, but. But am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, and I have, like, I'm similar with you, Lindsay. Like, I have some clients who I will see for years and years and years. And then I have some clients who will get to a place 
And then maybe they need fresh eyes. Maybe mm. I, you know, and that that's also okay. Like I'm not the expert on, on everything, most things, but not everything. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not, it's like, nice to have another set of eyes on something too, especially if you just want different points of view. Right. Like I have a client who I knew her when she was dating. I've only known her when she was with someone and she brought her significant other into session fair amount of times and their relationship ended. And she said to me, she was like, I love you. I want to see you, but I feel like, I feel like you remind me of him now. Like I need Mm. a fresh set to kind of like start new. And I was like, Absolutely. I'd like to talk to that new therapist so we can collaborate a little bit and I can share some of, you know, the things that we've learned and da da da. And like, yes, that's sad because I, I care about my clients, but it's also, it's also a really cool thing when you can do that. Yeah. yeah. Another cool thing that I'm sure you get to see um, are breakthroughs, which are really like when the light turns on in someone, someone's head. And I know it's happened for me in a couple of my sessions where I'm just like, oh my God, I've been doing this all wrong. Or, oh my God, my addiction actually started right here. And like to have those moments, you know, as a therapist, when you unlock, that's like unlocking a level. So it must be pretty cool. (laughs) It is really cool. And it is really humbling, to be honest, because a lot of the time I'm just guessing. Any therapist is. <laughs> it's like a doctor too when you're you're sick. It's yeah, not like it's rain. not like meteorologist guessing, right? Like it's no, gonna no, rain. It's, it might rain. <laughs> it's better than meteorology okay. guessing for yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's similar to doctor guessing, where it's like, okay, it seems like this is what's going on, but let's explore it a little. Okay, bit. yeah, yeah. And you know, oftentimes I'll be like, okay, it sounds like you said this. Like, am I understanding correctly? Like, I'm always asking for um, clarity, so I make sure I'm understanding what's going on in their brains correctly. But it's so humbling to be like, wow, something I said, me sharing my knowledge, me caring about this person, me guiding this person has helped them to come to this conclusion that they could have gotten to on their own or in a different way. But like I was there for it. Like I was present for this really vulnerable breakthrough for them, which is just awesome. It has to be an amazing feeling when you're seeing someone just trying to dive a bit more into the mental health aspect, right? I don't know if people realize there is some sort of mental health issue that they have, right? A lot of people are just like, oh, I'm just feeling really sad or I'm really stressed out or, and it could be something more anxiety, depression, bipolar, whatever it may be. Is that a piece of that breakthrough that you help them understand that these feelings that you're feeling aren't just an everyday, I'm stressed at work, right? Or my family's stressing me out. How do you approach that with someone? So that's a, that's a kind of double-edged sword question. So let me, let me answer one part of it first. So people are usually really, really receptive if they feel like this is how it's only been, this is how it's always been. And I don't feel great. And I'm like, Hey, it kind of looks like there's some depression going on, or these are similar symptoms to bipolar disorder. Typically people are very receptive to that because it makes them feel less crazy. Right. Mm. They're like, Oh, there's a name for it. Oh, other people experience this. I just diagnosed someone actually um, with OCD. At first she was like, well, I don't understand. Like I don't count my steps or, you know, lock the door seven times or whatever. 
And I was like, no, 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 let me explain OCD a little bit. And as I was explaining it, she was like, she was like, there's a reason that I'm doing these things. Like, holy cow. So like, oftentimes that gives people a lot of hope, which is what I found. Sometimes people are resistant to it, but not as often as it gives people, it gives people hope. A a negative of that, the other side of the coin is that oftentimes people will come in and they'll be like, oh, well, when I was 15, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So I have bipolar disorder. And it's like, Mm. no, you don't. Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. And like people have like glommed onto that or um, people who are experiencing just like day-to-day life stressors and therapy is helpful for those things, but they're not really experiencing any type of mental health diagnosis or something. And they're like, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. And it's like, <laughs> right. They want to go in a box. They want to go in a box or they've already put themselves in a box. Right. Exactly. So that that's kind of like a, a two-sided question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to hear that people have hope after hearing a diagnosis, right? I think that's got to be helpful, right? And just to know that there's options, right? I think a lot of people don't understand that piece when it comes to mental health, right? It's I think the stats are one in five adults have some sort of mental health illness, right? And so I think what people don't get is there's options. Well, people also don't get like schizophrenia, For example, we hear schizophrenia, we think like crazy things. We've probably seen a movie, right? Yeah, it's like a buzzword. People can show no symptoms after treatment. You can be diagnosed with schizophrenia and a year, two years later have no symptoms. People don't know that. And mental health is also more fluid than people realize, right? So I, I'll use myself as an example. I went through a bout of depression when I was in college, like clinically depressed, I'm fine. Like, do I have sad days? Yeah, but like, I'm fine. And I don't know why that happened, right? Like, it was probably the age and hormones and this and that and whatever was going on. But people are so, you know, I I tell people all the time, guess what? Anxiety is also just like a feeling that regular humans feel. (laughs) Sometimes it's a diagnosis and sometimes it's just a feeling that, you know, March of last year, we all started feeling a lot more anxiety than yes. (laughs) Yeah. And then that's what I was going to say, you know, um, COVID has been good, good for business. I'm sure on the, on the mental health side, sadly. And I can say myself was, um, last October, I really started to crack. Like I, my, the voices in my head were a little bit louder. Um, I thought I was going a little bit banana sandwiches And I remember at one point I looked at Lindsay and I said, I need to go away. Um, I need to go to a mental health, like go into a Zen garden and break around a rock. And I need to, (laughs) I need to like, I need a moment of clarity and I don't know what it was, but I either burnt out or fused out. So Lindsay started working because Lindsay is my proxy. She saved my (laughs) life before. She's like, I'm going to save it again. So she went through all this work. Found these, found these, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, she's got her hands full. Um, But like, she found these places and there was a lot of places where it was like, oh, that's a little too padded wall for me. Sorry, you know, just not, just wasn't for me. But the more she looked day by day, I started to pull myself out of this terrible rut that I was in. And I, and it was just, it was a scary feeling. So I can understand, you know, when those people feel that, that deep, dark kind of area and they don't know what to do. Cause I didn't know what to do. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely had my fair share at the beginning of COVID. I remember I was a nut job. Like I was like a roller coaster of emotions every day of like, how are we going to do this? I can't handle all this. Like we can't do this. This isn't sustainable. Like kids home working, you know, working at home, schooling kids at home, not being able to go anywhere. And, you know, there were days where I had to say to myself, okay, you can just let yourself feel this way today. Right. Like this is, I I was like telling myself, it's okay. Just allow yourself to feel the feels and then start new tomorrow. Right. Like tomorrow will be a new day, but I can get there most times because I have these tools under my belt. Right. Is that a lot of people who have never done therapy or, or talked to somebody don't have those tools to get out of that rut themselves. And I have to imagine that's what we're seeing more of right now. Well, and so I have, I have so much to say. So first of all, Adam, <laughs> you're not alone with that. Like I went through, it was like January of this year where I was not in the place you were, but I hit a COVID wall where I was like, I'm effing done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can't, I can't anymore. I'm done. Like get me out of here. And I've seen that with a lot of people where they've gone through phases where they're like, all right, like I'm tapping out. Like I cannot do this anymore. And to, with what you were saying, Lindsay, like you know, my dad jokes that I have like a whole separate language as a therapist, right? Like I use the words like boundaries and validation and stuff like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's true. Like it, it is kind of a separate language, but it, it gives word to these ambiguous feelings and it gives things to do for th- how to recognize these feelings and things like that, that a lot of people kind of don't have that language. And the interesting thing too that what you said also reminded me of March of 2020, my business, it was like crickets, mm-hmm. which was so fascinating because I thought I was going to be like so busy, but everyone was in a state of shock and trauma. Yeah. And then it was probably like end of April, early May, where the phone started ringing off the hook because people were kind of like waking up from the shock and trauma and were like, okay, this is, this is life. I need help with this. But we're not giving ourselves credit for that. Like we have all been through a trauma and it just makes me so sad that people are like, yeah, 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 but I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's like, well, that's great that you're functioning, but that doesn't equal fine. Right. right. Functioning and fine are right. two different. And, right. may- and maybe nobody called you because the CDC said that you could get COVID through the phone because <laughs> no, n- nobody knew how people were getting COVID. It was just like, it's in, it's in sprites now. Uh, <laughs> we're talking to Mary Ellen Dance. She's from the podcast OK-ish. And I learned something that OK is OK if OK is OK. It's when things are not OK that things are not OK. I know that's a lot of OKs. But that's why I found your podcast and I was like, it is okay-ish. Well, and I really like that you said that. And I'm going to have, I'm going to have to ask you that again so I can write it down. The whole reason my podcast is called okay-ish is because I am a therapist who hates the word empowered. I hate the word, the term self-care. Like we're like in this culture of like self-improvement, which on the one hand is really great. And on the other hand, it's like, just like contributing to like toxic positivity and like all of that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, let's just be okay. (laughs) Just be okay. (laughs) It's true because there is an artificial, there is this artificial, like I'm great. Like you can't go into a therapist session and your therapist say, how are you doing today? Things are great. 
you know, because I don't know a lot of times where things are great. Well, and I think the whole point of being happy is being happy despite things not being great, you know, despite those ups and downs, despite not every day, but despite all of that. And I think that I want to help guide people, teach people, work with people on how to maintain stability, maintain a somewhat positive outlook, a somewhat positive mood, despite the changing seasons in life, but recognizing that like, oh, in COVID it's, it was all like, oh my gosh, did you go, did you work out today? And I'm like, I don't want to work out today. And I don't want to feel bad for that. Right. (laughs) Right. It is. It's hard to tell your head those things. I, I have, oh my gosh, I have those days all the time. But it is about, it it is about putting together some sort of game plan to be okay-ish, right? Like this winter I took on completely different and it started in October when I started to get better. And maybe it was because I do suffer from seasonal depression. Um, and I, I, put, I put that in air, air quotes, quotes on a podcast. Seasonal depression. Like, <laughs> well, you know, I do, does anyone get seasonal depression in summer? I don't know. But anyway, maybe someone from Alaska, but uh, so I really prepared myself this year. I went into this winter with a game plan because every winter I love to gain 15 pounds. And then every summer I like to take off five. And then every winter I like to gain 15 pounds. And, and it's just been a vicious cycle. Now this I'm not year, great at math, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I kept on stacking, stacking the weight on, but I, I had a game plan this year and I said, here's the deal. This winter, I am not going to lose any weight. I am not going to gain any weight either. And I was 100% successful. And the other thing I did was I'm going to start noticing every day when I look at the clock that the sun went down one minute later. And every day I would recognize it and I would say, I would say to people, you know, and then, oh, do you hear the birds chirping? And then pretty soon it's May and it's still 48 degrees here in Connecticut. <laughs> and I'm still not out of winter, but I'm trying. But you, you, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of being, being okay. Um, knowing that we'll be okay, despite the ups and downs of life, but also recognizing that this like ideal of like being empowered and self love and all of that is just not, that's not how life works. That's not every day. And feelings are meant to be felt good, bad, and ugly. They are meant to be felt. So see, told you, Oh God, I told you. I'm that person, you know, when you ask somebody like, oh, how are you doing? And people are usually like, I'm good. You know, I'm the person who's like, they ask, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, well. So, you know, what's so interesting about that? I did that the other day. Somebody, I can't even remember who, but somebody asked me how I was doing. And I was like, oh, not great. And they were like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing. Yeah. It's just... I'm okay. Like, it's just one of those days where I'm kind of like not in a great mood. And that like changed something for me because I realized people are so uncomfortable with negative feelings. And obviously we don't want to feel negative. The goal is to not feel negative, but negative feelings are a part of life. And so like, there was nothing wrong with me that day. I was fine. The next day, it was just one of those off days. I was kind of annoyed with some of the things I had to do, you know, whatever. And this person being like, what can I do to help? Nothing. Yeah. They go into like some sort of, it's like panic. Yeah. It's just a panic. Cause people are, you're supposed you didn't to give just... me the answer I was looking. For. Yeah. You're supposed to say good. So I can just keep moving on. Right. Like that's right. the and we don't we don't know how to feel. We don't know how to feel uncomfortable. So let's dive into the brain a little bit more because this is 
another piece that she I was so excited for this podcast she was just like i can't wait she knows so much about the brain and <laughs> okay oh my gosh you guys are you guys are really feeding my ego so thank you for that <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. sometimes i feel really dumb <laughs> talk like, to us about and you have to explain what this is about emdr therapy so EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. It was developed in like the 1980s by a woman named Francine Shapiro, who actually recently passed away last year, I believe, or end of 2019. It is based from structural dissociation theory. So that's a lot of fancy. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Yeah, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. Bring it down. So I feel like I feel like I have to say this like stuff because so now in layman's terms. Yes. Disclaimer: I may say something wrong if anybody's listening. (laughs) Um, so basically this woman, this structural dissociation theory says that when anything happens to us, it goes into our brain. It goes into the limbic system in our brain, and our brain does everything it can to move that information from the limbic system to the cortex. So the limbic system is this maladaptive, confusing, ugly information. And our brain naturally moves this information to the cortex where it's adaptively stored. So let me give an example. So the first boyfriend that I ever broke up with when I was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, however old, in my mind, I thought I'm never going to love again. Oh my gosh. He was my first love. That was information that entered into the limbic system. And that's maladaptively stored, right? That's irrational for a 15 year old to say, I'm never going to love again, whatever. Mm -hmm. But naturally the way our brains work is they're always moving information to be adaptively stored in the cortex. So that whole um, idea of time heals all wounds is kind of true because our brain naturally does this movement because the cortex is this like, okay, all these events that happen to us are in like a nice little bow and they're processed and adaptively stored and it's all great. Like a filing cabinet. Yeah, like it's a filing cabinet. So um, fun fact about this is that, have you ever had a recurring dream? Yes. structural dissociation theory says that recurring dreams are your brain's trying to move information and it can't so it's like trying to move this information and it's having trouble moving it and it can't oh my god oh my god we had a breakthrough we just had a breakthrough (laughs) you know what i just keep picturing is the movie inside out where like They're just trying to move things up there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so obviously trauma gets stored in the limbic system. Trauma can be anything, right? Me and Lindsay can have the same event happen to us and hers can move to the cortex just fine. And mine could get stuck in the limbic system. Mm -hmm. And, And that doesn't mean that one of us is weaker than the other. It doesn't mean that the event was traumatic or wasn't traumatic. It just means for me, it was a trauma. And it's in there. And for Lindsay, it wasn't. And that's something that a lot of people don't really understand. Like EMDR talks a lot about big traumas and little traumas, right? Like big traumas of like war, a death, you know, an assault, like things like that. And little traumas of like a breakup or whatever it may be. So EMDR is basically trying to emulate this process just while we're awake and faster. So can EMDR help find a trauma? Like, I, I don't, I don't know if EMDR that makes can be done for anything. So if somebody like deep down, there's something that somebody has like suppressed hardcore taken out of their, in their head, they think they've taken it out. 
this can uncover. A common thing with EMDR is for people to remember things that they didn't initially remember, but also EMDR can be done with anything. So if you came into my office, Lindsay, and you were like, oh, I just had an annoying fight with Adam. You wouldn't call that a trauma, but you're still annoyed with it. You guys haven't made up yet. It's still kind of tense in the household. All right. Like we could theoretically do some EMDR work around that to help process that information. And so another thing that people confuse EMDR, you're awake. It's not hypnotism (laughs) at all. Like people think it's like hypnotism. Literally you're awake and I move my fingers back and forth and I just have your eyes move back and forth with my fingers and we talk. So it's not like people get really scared. Like, Oh, what do I do? Like, what is this? And it's like, We're literally just talking. You just happen to be looking at my fingers. And obviously we're talking about specific things and I'm asking specific questions. And actually EMDR is like a whole treatment model. The moving the fingers is actually phase four of EMDR. Phase one, two, and three are all about like coping skills and grounding skills and things like that because EMDR can be really, really dangerous because we don't want to accidentally re-traumatize people. That's what I was going to ask because I was in a really bad car accident in college and I don't remember it at all. I was a pastor. Passenger and I don't remember it. And I don't know if that's my brain just being like, we're good with this. Let's just move it and pretend it never happened. We're good with this and pretending it never happened are two different things. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So it's either I, pretend it never happened or we're good with or this. That's in the cortex with a nice bow on it. Right. Yeah. I think repressed memories are like the coolest thing ever. Like our brains are literally like, you can't handle this. So I'm going to make you forget it. (laughs) Like that's amazing. It's It's amazing. It's so crazy. Is that a survival? Is that like a survival? And Lindsay already said that this is probably going to be a two-part podcast. So, (laughs) um, is, is it survival mode? What, what is that? Yeah. But it's amazing. Like I always So I am very much under this school of thought that like you are the expert on you. So if you came to me, Adam, and you were like, I want to figure out this trauma of this car accident, I'd be like, okay, what are your coping skills? Because right now, not thinking about it is a coping skill. Your brain repressing it and not knowing what happened is a coping skill. So like, how dare me come in and be like, well, let's take away your coping skills that you've used for your whole life and, you know, do this. So it's like a very delicate balance because in order to move through trauma, in order to move that trauma to the cortex, we have to talk about it. Like that is the only way to heal from trauma, but re-traumatization is a real and scary thing. So we have to do it in a careful way. And like, I, you know, I am very much under the school of thought that a lot of addiction, I mean, addiction comes from many different places, but one of, one of the places is as a coping mechanism. And it's like, how dare I take that away from you? Like that's helped you survive. Mm -hmm. Then it wasn't helping you survive. Right. It does. And then it doesn't. But that, well, and that's the thing with addiction. Like it's a coping skill that works. Yeah. <laughs> like if you want to forget about your trauma in your life and not deal with what's going on, like it works for a period of time. Do people seek out EDRM or do you as a therapist say this might be a good idea? I can't, like, it's, it's so new to me. I've heard about it, but I've never like dove deep into it. So people don't quite understand EMDR. So oftentimes people will seek out, like I have, I have a client right now who some doctor told him he should do EMDR and he for sure has trauma. 
However, he's actively using cocaine. He's actively sleeping with prostitutes, you know, is doing all these things that are like not healthy coping mechanisms. And I'm like, I cannot come in and bring up this trauma and have you go do even more cocaine. Like I can't, Mm. like we have to. And so people, when they're referred by like a doctor, they'll think it's just the, the eye movement part. EMDR is technically eight phases and that's one of the phases. And so people don't realize that. So people who come in for EMDR, I'll, I'll do a lot of education around it of like, okay, first we need to, we need to stabilize a little bit. We need to switch out some of these coping skills and like stabilize a little bit so that when we do bring up that trauma, you'll be safe when you leave here. Right. But there are people who have never heard of EMDR that come in and I'm like, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's try this. Like, let's go into it. And they're like, cool. Again, it's not that old. It's 30, 30 years oldish and it's getting more and more recognized, but it's still wildly misunderstood. Like I'm trained in EMDR, but like I am learning things about EMDR all the time. Like, and that's from someone who like is trained in it. And so it's still very like misunderstood and a little bit confusing. Yeah. I, I want to do it. Oh, I never, <laughs> I'm, I never heard of it until Lindsay told me about it. So Lindsay, you would be like a really good candidate for EMDR because those first three phases, you have those, you've been doing therapy for 10 years. Like, you know, the coping skills, you can go through that and be like, okay, I know what to do. I know how to handle this. Like, I know how to manage this. Like you'd be a great candidate for it. I would be a bad one. I have vertigo. So to follow. Oh my God. That's an excuse. We can do tapping. Oh, okay. See, I got you. (laughs) Damn it. There's no way around this. Can we also talk about, this is another thing I wanted to talk about. So the amygdala in your brain. Okay. Oh. Uh, it's, it's your fight or flight response, right? Okay. And Adam and I are complete opposites when it comes to this. I am a fight and he is a flight. All the way. All the way. Like he's gone before it hits the floor. Just like my daughter. My daughter visibly disappears. Like gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how do you, so, okay, let me, I'll give you an example, right? So like everything that I was going through with Adam, right? I don't, I was in fight mode, right? I I was never like curled up in a fetal position crying. I was just, okay, what do we need to do? Where do we need to go? What needs to get done? But then as time passes, right? And things kind of level off, then I'll crumble down because Uh I have to get through it or like, Yeah. I think that, I think that's how I cope with a lot of things, right. Is I am very business, right. How do we do it? How do we get through it? And then after I fall down. So in the moment I fight, but afterwards I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so exhausted. So I don't know how necessarily that's associated with your amygdala as it is your coping skill. Like your coping skill is just to like put your hard hat on and like go through it. But the amygdala also attaches emotions to like environments and like associations. So like, I'm wondering. Also like hospital. Yeah. Equals hard hat. Mm, yeah. I could see that. I just, I just gave you a break. Yeah. And hospitals so, for him. He's, whew, he's out of there. I did. I almost passed out once when I saw my grandmother in the hospital. I had to leave the room. That's so funny. You say that. That is see how much do you charge an hour? We'll, we'll send you, <laughs> we'll send you a check. Well, I want to, I want to share something really, really cool with you two. So when, when I was getting trained in EMDR, we did EMDR to each other. There were like 10 or so therapists in my like 
training class and we did it to each other. And one of the, it happened over the course of a few months, but throughout those few months, I went to a class the day after I had a boyfriend break up with me. And so this was not a trauma. I had not been dating. This was not what I would have considered a trauma. Excuse me. I had not been dating him for a very long time. Like not a huge deal. Like in the grand scheme of things, like it wasn't a huge deal. Like it wasn't like some serious relationship. Right. But for, for a variety of reasons that I didn't realize until I had EMDR done to me, it like really hit me this breakup. And so I like walked in like crying and they did EMDR on me and there were two amazing things that happened. The first amazing thing is I realized why this like non-important, like few month relationship was hitting me so hard. And the other thing was I had had like pit in my stomach and after the EMDR, that pit was gone. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Like I need to eat food. Wow. Like, I'm so hungry. And so like that type of response is like really, really common for people to be like, like I was still sad, right? That night right. I was still like sad. I wasn't like cured. I wasn't like fine. But it was one of those things where like I hadn't been able to eat since the night before because I was just like, oh, and I had this pit in my stomach. And after the EMDR, I was like, somebody order me some food. Like I'm starving. That's awesome. And so like that kind of thing is like really, really common, which is cool. It's exhausting. Like it's absolutely exhausting. Yeah. EMDR, but it's really, really neat. Yeah. EMDR seems heavy, right? It could get really, really heavy. So that's a, you know, you need to really know the background on it and be prepared for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a lot of anxiety growing up where I threw up at the drop of a hat, you know, before tests and football games and everything. And even at work and when I got sober, I still had it. And I went, I went to a, it was um, like a motivational speaker. Yeah, It was like a motivational speaker, Michael Burnoff. And I left there and I swear to God, my anxiety was gone and I lost it. And I left, I left my job. I got a new job. I have a great job. And I'm, I've like, it completely turned my life around. I barely get nauseous except for the time Lindsay's water broke at the house and the baby was coming out at, in the car. And I was like, <laughs> just trying to drive the car. I feel like that, that, was, that was high. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> high. That was high intensity. But you know, I totally, I totally get it that like there can be breakthroughs too with, with different things that totally alleviate some, some things that you used to carry around. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, I always talk about how saying things out loud often takes away their power. Mm. See, you talk about the feels. You see how she always yells at me. She's like, (laughs) see, I will say though, I will say she's always, sometimes it gets too heavy. Sometimes you need to be like, okay, we're over processing this. Like we're, let's move on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We just, um, yeah, we talk about a lot of things, but I also think that comes with our couples therapy, right? Because we got to a point where like our communication was shit. And so, you know, we had to work to figure out how communication is going to better us, you know? So now we're just at a point where he's over it. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not over it because there's sometimes (laughs) where we just don't agree on a certain direction to go with either the kids or um, a family member or the business or, you know, the podcast. And it's sometimes great to bring that stuff to therapy. I think people, when, when we tell people we're in couples therapy, I think the first thing they say is like, 
well, it seems like their relationship's really good. I can't believe they're in therapy. And it's like, our relationship is good because we're in therapy. Okay. Thank you for saying that because couples therapy is like one of the things that really gets me fired up. I have so I've seen so many couples who come in as a last ditch effort Mm. where one or both of them has already made the decision to leave and they just want to check it off their list to be like, see, I tried everything Mm. and it's not my job to change your mind. Like if you've already made the decision, it's not my job to change your mind. So I don't understand why people aren't doing preventative couples counseling. Like, hello. Like when it gets to that point, there's like, there's like a a point of no return, right? Couples counseling is, I'm not going to do anything at that point. Like maybe I can help you manage a divorce, but that's what I'm doing at that point. So PSA to everyone out there, go to couples counseling when things are good. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, granted, we started couples therapy because things were really, really bad. But I also think a big piece of us is we both wanted to make it work, right? It wasn't just one of us who wanted to make it work. Yeah. And so we both did the work. We both put in the effort. We both had your favorite word boundaries, right? That's what we did. It's not pretty, right? It's not always mm -mm, pretty, but that's so fun though. (laughs) But do you know what he'll (laughs) say to me? He'll like hold things. He'll hold things and be like, I'm going to bring this up in couples therapy. And then like, we can't talk about it anymore. Why are you looking at me? Don't make me tell Mary Ellen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like, he'll do that and be like, I say, I I say it joking. I say it joking. Mm. I actually saw a couple the other day who one member of the couple brought something up and she said, the reason I didn't bring this up is because I knew that if I brought it up, it would have turned into a fight. And then in therapy, we would have been talking about the fight and not the actual issue. Wow. That's good. Was like, so, you know, I don't, I didn't mean to hide this from you, that this was bothering me. I just wanted to make sure we were talking about it in the most productive way. So I was like, nice. Yep. Couples therapy. Ugh. It's for therapists. It's really fun. It's draining, but it's really fun. And I don't have to do that much work. Right. Cause often with couples, what's going on is right on the surface. Talking yeah. with Mary Ellen Dance. Okay, it's podcast. She's also a licensed therapist. And that brings up a good point. You know, you do listen to people's feelings all day long. It's got to be exhausting. Oh my gosh. Some days are better than others. So like I, a lot of people have judged me for this, but um, we're going to, ju- we're going to judge. We'll judge. Here we go. We'll let you yeah, know. Right I'm ready. Now. I'm ready. It's okay. I've gotten over the judgment, but starting out as a drug and alcohol counselor taught me to have really, really good boundaries. It taught me how to compartmentalize. And frankly, it desensitized me slightly, Mm. which is just a fact of the matter. And so, so I am pretty good with leaving work at work. The one thing is if I've had a long day, if I'm not in the best space and like a friend or my sister or someone will call me and be like, Hey, can you like talk to me about this? I'm like, Nope. Like, leave me alone. You're being annoying (laughs) when like, they're not being annoying. They're fine. But (laughs) like, (laughs) not that that friend or whoever is asking me for therapy, but if they're just like, Oh, can I have your advice? Or, Oh, you know, I'm going to vent about whatever, just having like a normal conversation. I have like very little patience. It's almost like a a chef, right? Works all day. And then he comes home and his wife's like, cook me dinner. Yeah. Like F you. I've checked out. I'm done. I get it. I totally get it. I don't know why. I guess, you know, let's, we can kind of round out, right? Is the whole point of us doing this podcast with you, right? Was to talk about that mental health and to try to keep people to understand that we do things for our health 
health, right? We go to the gym because we want to work out, right? We go to the doctor because we hurt ourselves or we're sick, right? So why, right. We go to the dentist to get our teeth cleaned, right? So why are we not doing the same thing for our head, right? Because we're scared and our ego and, you know, all of that. Because I hear that argument that you're making all the time. I've said that argument thousands of times and people, it's so uncomfortable, And like somehow we have been trained to think that uncomfortable equals bad Mm -hmm. and it doesn't anyways, keep going with what you were saying. No, I think, but that's (laughs) the whole point, right? I think the whole point of this conversation was to just put it out there. Right. And, and people to hear this, that this should be normalized, right? Like this should be an everyday thing. And the one thing I always, I try to tell people all the time is just because you're, you're, you're in therapy, right. And things are good. That doesn't mean stop. That means now you need maintenance, right? Now you need to continue to be okay. Or if things life is hard, right? Everyone has something going on. So it's like, why wouldn't you have a third party help you out, right? To work through things. Cause I know for me, like sometimes I can't get out of my own way. And I can't think of something that is so simple. I I remember sitting in therapy and talking about a situation and she was just like, well, what if you did this? And it was so freaking simple, but I could not think of that. Absolutely. I always tell people that, you know, my job is to make sure everyone leaves my office and they're safe. Like that's my number one job. But my goal is that when you leave my office, you're thinking about something in a different way from a different perspective than when you came in, because there's so many different perspectives. And I just had a client this morning. I haven't seen her in like a year. She's been good. Right. But then something came up and she's like, I got a schedule with Mm -hmm. you. I saw her this morning. I'll see her again in like two weeks. Same thing for like lots of people. Sometimes I'll see people like weekly or biweekly. And then other times it's like, oh, let's see each other once a month, once every other month for like maintenance check-in. And then, cause it's all fluid. Like people don't realize how fluid it is, right? We hear these statistics, this many people are in counseling or this many people have anxiety. And it's like, no, it's all that number changes like daily. And so I think that's important to remember too. Yeah. And there's times where I'm driving to therapy, even though it's a mile down the street, I say to myself, what am I going to talk about? And I've learned that like, that's okay-ish. I love those sessions because other times it can be a little bit of crisis management or problem solving, right? Those mm. sessions are like, all right, well, let's, let's get into some shit. <laughs> I, on the other hand, when things come up, she has a checklist, write a list. And then I text it. So I say, in case I forget. <laughs> Lindsay goes into, um, therapy with with a list it's 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 pretty funny mary ellen dance okay podcast hey where can they where else can they reach you if they want to get in touch with you uh best place is mary ellen dance.com my podcast okay is on apple and all all the, all the platforms all spotify and all that stuff well thank yeah. you so much for joining us today we appreciate it, it this was is great awesome. thank you thank you for having me it cuts so deep in stitches back every broken that you've ever had and all the memories that you can't escape you can't hide it on your face i'll be the found rest so tightly on your soul cause you were won't let you go and every breath you try to breathe alone i'll be beside you so you know I'll be the fire